At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. So we have a VFD conversation for you guys. Now, VFDs are something that people are putting into brand new equipment and in retrofit applications because of the cost savings you see on the energy side. You can run a motor more efficiently, whether that motor is turning a fan or a pump, you can run it more efficiently with a VFD attached to it. So we're going to talk about VFDs from sort of a a basic position. And we have Anish Satesh Harul from Armstrong Fluid Technologies. And Anish, I hope I pronounced your last name properly. I tried my hardest (laughs) for you, man. I hope I got it right. Anyway, this is going to be a good conversation, guys. We're going to learn some stuff here. So listen up, pay attention. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by the Master Group, and Master Group has a lot of training available. So if I were you and you're looking to get trained up on furnaces, ACs, heat pumps, mini splits, reach out to your Master Group local rep and find out what courses are available. I've been to three of them now, I believe it is, and every time I go, I take away something that I didn't know prior. So get educated up, guys. Master Group has some training for you. Check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas, and as we've been discussing, they are a leader in providing blue-collar uniform solutions to blue-collar industries like HVAC, refrigeration, plumbing, electrical. So if you're looking for blue-collar solutions for uniforms for your team, check out our landing page. It's cintas.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all. Welcome to the HVAC know-it-all podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Well, Anish, this is I, I think this is a topic that we have not really discussed on the podcast before, and that's kind of revolves around VFDs, variable frequency drives. So Y'all good uh, to to get this educational content into the audience's ears? Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm ready to go. Awesome, man. Okay, so we should get right into this and and define a VFD. What is a VFD? Yeah, so a VFD or VSD, as some people people call it, uh, the acronym essentially stands for Variable Frequency Drive or Variable Speed Drive. So what that essentially okay. means is, you know, as the name suggests, is it varies the speed of a motor or more you know, accurately, it varies the frequency of electric current that's being output into the motor. And by doing that, it changes the, the speed of the motor. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, yeah. it does. So, so for example, like in North America, for um, we mostly use zero to 60 hertz uh, power. Mm-hmm. Um, so 60 hertz would be like 3,600 RPM, let's say, and zero hertz would be associated with zero RPM. And anything in between, as it you know ramps up that frequency, 
uh, you end up ramping up the the speed of of that motor. Okay, as well. Awesome. So I, I think what we're gonna do, and the way we discussed this uh, before we hopped on here, was describe what a VFD is, and then kind of mash that, mash it up with with motors and motor components, and then come back to how the VFD controls the motor. Yeah. Is that something we can do? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay, so v- VFD is a variable frequency drive, uh, and we're going to change the frequency in hertz to change the speed of the motor from 0 RPM to 3600 RPM. Basically, that's that's what a VFD is. I know it's way more complicated than that because anybody that's ever stood beside one and tried to program it has been scratching their head oh, because yeah. the, bu- the booklets can be like a couple inches thick, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those manuals are dense. Yeah, from a basic from a basic standpoint, that's what a VFD is, and that's what its use is. Uh, now, let's talk about some some motors and motor components. And I and I know you, you brought up earlier like permanent magnets and ECMs and and all that. But if we can start at a more basic level and, and go through the motor, and then we'll come back and circle back the VFD and ECM and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess you know a little bit of an intro to to motors, right? So. A uh, motor is a is a pretty simple piece of equipment. Well, simple in in uh, its main components, but complex in how it actually does what it does. Um, so you have two essential components, which is your rotor, which is the rotationary bit, right? Rotor, and your stator, which is your stationary bit. Um, so a stator is a bunch of copper coils lined up along the uh, perimeter, essentially internal perimeter of the motor casing, and then what fits snugly inside of it is uh, your rotor, which essentially is is free floating, right? Um, so, you know your stator coils. Essentially, that's what you get a an electric current is sent into it. So it gets energized. Your stator coils get energized in three phase um, motors. You essentially have three sets of these coils. Um, so that's why it's three phase because you have phases of these coils. And if you think of it like a clock face, let's say, um, so imagine the stator being the numbers along the perimeter of that clock face and the rotor could be like the the minute hand, for example, right? Um, So as electric current comes in and it energizes, let's say, the coil at 12 o'clock, you're going to have a magnetic field um, created there. It's going to energize that copper coil. And as it moves along... The perimeter as the, you know, as that, let's look at it as like 12 lights up and then you have one o'clock lights up because that's the next coil being energized, so on and so forth. Um, your rotor is going to try to catch up to it, right? So I guess I should take a little bit of a step back and talk about how it does this. So with a, a rotor, there's no actual physical connection uh, to energize the rotor. So our standard, our Motors that we think about when we talk about like a conventional motor, they're called squirrel cage induction motors. And so the reason for the squirrel cage is because the rotor looks like a hamster wheel, right? Or a squirrel cage. So it's like uh, two plates on either end. You have the shaft connected to that. And in between is like a bunch of bars. So that part's like the the hamster wheel design. Um, And so as your rotor rotates, it's connected to your shaft. Your shaft rotates as well. The induction part of it is because there is no direct electrical connection to the rotor. It gets energized through um, electromagnetic uh, induction, basically. 
So as your stator is energized, uh, you know, electricity is flowing through it. It creates a magnetic field, which induces a magnetic field into your rotor, which also has a bunch of copper coils or, along it. Um, and with that magnetic field, it essentially creates a current and a force, which causes it to try and rotate around and catch up to to the stator. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's the first time I've ever heard it. Like I've seen this in, in books and, and diagrams and drawings and stuff like that, but I've never actually heard anybody explain it that that way so i mean if when the audience can think if they can think about a clock i know like if if we're speaking to somebody that's like 18 years old here they may not have <laughs> used to looking at hand clocks right they're used to looking at right. their phone or or their apple watch or something like that but i mean if you if you can think of an old an old school clock that has hands and as that ma- magnetic field is changing the rotor is moving with it and i guess the faster the magnetic field switches the faster the, 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 the motor or the rotor is going to spin within that stator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the rate at which the magnetic field fluctuates, essentially, and, you know, you have that, that uh, the different lights go off from 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, the rate at which that happens is the frequency of the electricity. So if you're increasing the frequency of electricity, you're increasing the rate at which uh, those coils switch and that causes the rotor to essentially rotate faster, right? Yes. So that kind of brings us back to to, to the VFD and, and the frequency. So we kind of we kind of explained this almost in a way, but how does we talked about what a VFD is and, and the, the parts of the motor, the stator, the the rotor, and and how it spins with the magnetic field? But how does a VFD work in controlling that motor? Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should also explain, you know, how the different types of electricity, right? So we okay. have DC electricity, which is direct mm-hmm. current, and then we have AC electricity. So AC electricity is what we use for almost everything. Um, there are a few things that we use DC electricity for. So examples could be like batteries, um, solar panels, for example. Um, we use DC electricity for those. And some pieces of equipment actually utilize DC electricity. But for the most part, we're dealing with AC electricity. And the difference is with AC electricity, it's um, you get this like sinusoidal relationship, right? The, the direction of current switches back and forth. So it goes from zero to max, and then it drops back down to a negative value, and then goes back up again. And that's the direction of the current flow, essentially, right? Okay, yep. Yeah. Um, and then direct current is just one way, uh, current flows in one direction and that's it. So, you know, you have a lot of guys who are, when they go to service, um, service parts and you're dealing with like different types of electricity, DC electricity can be a lot more dangerous. Um, if you get shocked with DC than AC. And the reason for that is because it flows in that one direction. So let's say you, you accidentally touch something that's energized. That's a DC electricity. That current's going to flow straight through you. You're going to tense up because, you know, your muscles tense up when there's an electric current flying through Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And because it's in that one direction, you're not going to let go. You're just holding on to it the entire time. You you physically cannot let go, which is why, you know, it can end up killing you. Um, So if you've heard the saying, you know, DC bites, that's basically from from the fact that it grabs a hold of you and it just doesn't let go. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I'm going to I'm going to attest to to the opposite. 
I, I have held on to um, alternating current wires and been shocked. I mean, mostly everybody that's been in the trade for a certain length of time has been. It hasn't happened very... I say it's happened to me two or three times where I got like a nice kind of shock. Nothing major where I had to go to the hospital or anything, but just kind of like, oh, oh, like just yep. oh crap. Like I, I touched that. Um, but you can actually feel the AC current when you touch yes. an, a, an AC wire because you, you can feel the pulse. You can feel the pulse in your arm. Yep. Right? <laughs> yep. It's funny because there, so there's two schools of thought, right? The, of what is more dangerous. Um, because with AC current, essentially, you're, if you touch it, you are when it fluctuates back and forth, you're able to let go of it. So you're able to pull away from, from the actual current. Yeah. Um, but the, the idea there, you know, you said it, it pulses a bunch and that's true. And that pulsing can actually like cause damage to your muscles, right? Because you know, uh, 60 hertz, you have 60 hertz, you know, this AC current is going back and forth 60 times mm-hmm. in one second. So if yeah. you hold it in one second, your muscles are, you know, they're, they're flying off the rails trying to pulse yeah. about 60 times a second, which yeah, you know, physically I can't do that, but... <laughs> I, I never thought about that, to be honest with you. So that that's that's interesting. And and since we're on the topic, we should talk about if if you are gonna touch something, like you, you don't want to walk up to uh like let's say you're working on a roof, for instance, or in a mechanical room and you're unsure of, of a piece of equipment because you're going to a call, fuses blue or something like that. The last thing you want to do is throw both of your hands up on that piece of equipment and have and have the the current moving through your body. Uh, so I, I've had an old tech tell me that he would always keep one hand in his pocket when he was standing around equipment like that, just in case he had the inclination to put both hands up on the unit. So this was something he did. I mean, I don't know if I'd want to put my hand in my pocket because that's kind of unsafe too. Cause then you're kind of, you lose balance on, on the one side of your body. There's, there's different ways of doing things and whatever you're comfortable with. I just wanted to bring that up is yeah, just check, Great check, advice. check things before, if it looks sketchy, it sounds sketchy. Some sort of weird call came in with power issues and fuses blowing and breakers. Just be well aware of that piece of equipment before you approach it. Yeah, no, that's great advice, right? So like making sure it's it's fully de-energized. Um, so not only have you de-energized the, it at its source, but you're also making sure that whatever residual current or, or voltage that may be, you know, existent in that vfd like for example in vfds we have uh capacitors essentially which need yep. to discharge right so if if you're if you leave it on like you go ahead hit that switch and you think that it's fully discharged the second you hit that switch you know you're going to be in for a little bit of a rude awakening there so mm-hmm. um that's where yeah like you said know your piece of equipment know whether it needs to be discharged how long that usually takes etc cetera, etc cetera, before you before you go around poking too much because yeah, DC, well, current in general can kill you, right? So, yeah, for sure. Okay, so are are we good with um describing the the two types of electricity we're going to see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the reason I say that is because um what VFDs essentially do is they take in AC current, they convert it to DC, and then they convert that back to AC at these variable frequencies. Um, so the way they do this is there there are three components that make up VFDs. So the first component is the, uh, the rectifier, right? So that's the component that basically converts AC to to DC and it does this. You can think of it as a, uh, 
uh, a diode or, you know, for the more hydronically inclined, um, a check valve, right? It only allows current to flow in a single direction, not backwards. Mm-hmm. So when it goes to that, the negative por- points where we're cutting all of that out. So there are six rectifiers, essentially, um, two for each phase of the motor. Right? Okay. So you have three phases or two for each phase of the electricity, I should say. Uh, so you have three phases and you have two rectifiers for each phase, one for the top half of that sinusoidal AC wave and one for the bottom half. So you're capturing both pieces of electricity. Does that make sense? Yes, I see what yep. you're saying. Yeah. So when you're measuring uh, that current, when it's in DC, uh, one thing to be to be sort of mindful of is it's not actually, so if it's 460, that's a that's 460 you know, for the top half, but it's also 460 for the bottom half. So in DC car, it's actually two times that amount, essentially mm-hmm. 480. So that ends up being 960, right? So that DC car is actually at a 960 volt um, reading. Um, so once it goes through the rectifier, it converts it to a clear DC waves. You know, there's still gaps in between um, where it's cut off the, okay. the AC car and turned into DC. So okay. it goes into the next step, which is called a DC bus. Um, and the DC bus is basically just capacitors, right? It stores up um, charge when when there's current flowing in one direction, and then it releases it uh, to just smoothen out that DC wave. So instead of just basically getting you know gaps in like a, a clean DC signal, um, it fills in those gaps with electrons um, whenever there's a there's a gap in in that reading. I see. Right? So now we've gone through the rectifier, gone from AC to DC, gone through the DC bus, where you've gone from a messy DC wave to a uh, clean DC signal. Um, the next step is actually to take that DC signal and convert it back to a AC wave, but in a different frequency. Right. I see. So, and we do that with an inverter. Yep. Yep. So it's the okay. IGB. It's called the IGBT inverter, um, and it's basically like you said, it's an inverter. It's a, it's a bunch of high speed switches, right? Um, you have six of these as well. Once again, and you know one for the top half, two or yeah, one for the top half, one for the bottom half for each phase. And mm-hmm. what it essentially does is the longer that these uh, switches stay are closed, I should say. Um, the higher the output voltage, right? So okay. if you think of I'm trying to think of a good way to to explain this, if you think of like a signal, a DC signal, right? If you are measuring that over a specific period of time, let's say ten seconds, and you have let's say four sixty volts being output, right? If you close that uh, loop. For one sec, or for yeah, you close that loop for one second, and then open it for one second, close it for one second, so on and so forth. You're okay. essentially going to get uh, five spikes, right? Like a binary wave with five spikes, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, the average voltage that you're actually outputting during that time is half of 460 because you're not outputting 460 for 10 seconds in total. You're outputting uh, 460 for only five seconds in that increment. Right, so your average current or your average voltage that you're actually outputting is half of that. So in this case, two thirty. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you, you know, there's guys in their trucks right now driving and their head is spinning. They're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> right. I'll try to, I'll try to, try to not be, uh, too well, I mean, I no, it's, 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 it's good because if, if these, if these guys and gals listening, they're more interested in, in, in learning more about VFDs, this, this conversation kind of gives them a bit of a spark to go home, read some books, go online, uh, look up some stuff about VFDs, watch some videos. Uh, you know, it, it just, it's, it's all about the conversation and getting it into the yeah. heads of people. Cause when we talk, I mean, it's, it's sparking ideas and thoughts in me, right? So let's, 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 let's go back to this. We take AC, we change AC to DC, and then we change DC back to AC. So we're going to rectify AC to DC, and then we're going to use an inverter to go from DC back to AC so we right. can power that AC motor, right? Yep. Um, so we're going to do that by changing the frequency uh, and, and yes. th- th- there's, there's probably out, people out there wondering, well, when does the motor speed up and when is the motor speed down and when does it kind of balance out? Like there's, there's, I guess there's different ways we can do that. Cause we, we have to have an input from somewhere into the VFD that tells the motor what to do. It could be a temperature input. It could be like static pressure input. It could be, there could be so many different inputs coming into the VFD and telling that motor, Hey, it's it's time to speed up, and I'm going to give you an example of of one that I know of from some of the work that I used to do, and and you can give me an example after if if you like. So just a couple of Jobber announcements here. You guys know that if you listen to the podcast, I use Jobber as my CRM to run McCready HVAC and refrigeration. Now, up until the 30th, I believe they are running a 40% off promotion. I have a link for that. If you guys are looking to start your own company or switch or, or get a CRM in general, 40% off promotion. I've got a link for that in the podcast summary. Also on March 1st, the Jobber Summit is going to be happening. I've got a link for that in the podcast summary as well. And what the Jobber Summit is, is to sharpen your leadership skills in many different ways. And there's going to be a ton of different people from around different industries that we can all learn from. And this is an online thing, so you don't have to go physically. It's online, and you can you can get into the action from wherever you're at. So that's the Jobber Summit, March 1st. The other thing we're going to talk about here is the Emerson White Rogers Universal Parts. I mean, the, the one that I'm looking at right now is the defrost, the Universal Defrost Control for heat pumps. Now, we all know heat pumps, they, they run in reverse, and... When the unit is outside in colder temperatures, we can freeze up. We have to defrost that ice and frost that's accumulating on the coil. And we do that with a defrost control board. And Emerson White Rogers fortunately has a universal part that can be kept in the truck and can be used. And it takes the place of many, many other defrost controls. Just use the White Rogers mobile app to cross-reference to check before you move ahead. So my next experiment pertaining to condensate neutralization Uh, with my JJM Alkaline Technologies condensate neutralizer is to check the condensate after the neutralizer. I've checked it before and it was just over 2 on the pH scale. I'm going to check it after and see what it brings it up to. That is my next little experiment which I might perform this evening if I get some time after dinner. So watch for that one coming out on social media. So this one VFD was controlling a condenser fan on a um, clean room system for a pharma pharma clean room, mm-hmm. and there was uh, 
there was a, a transducer on the liquid line, I believe, or the discharge line. I can't remember, but it was on the high pressure line. So when that transducer, the signal going through it would change, it would change the the speed of the motor. And the way the signal going through it would change is when the temperature started, or sorry, that the pressure started to rise in the system. The transducer sees a rise in pressure. The signal going back to that VFD changes and it tells that VFD, hey, I want that fan to run faster because my pressure is going up and I need to bring it back down to where, where it should be. And then when that pressure kind of got to where it should be, the fan slowed down and kind of just evened itself out. It just maintained you know yep. what I mean at that point. So th yep. that's one example of, of how a VFD can be controlled is through a pressure transducer. Yeah, pressure transducer, temperature sensors, all that good stuff. I mean, we see it in HVAC all the time, right? You have VFDs on on essentially everything right now. Um, yep. You know, I, I like to say technology is a one-way street, meaning that once we actually adapt um, and implement specific, you know, cases of technology we're never really going back so if anything vfds are just going to improve and we're kind of stuck with them <laughs> for the most part which is great yeah. because they're a fantastic source of, of energy savings right um if you think of any level of optimization uh, in our industry that can really be brought back to the uh advent of, of vfds because you're able to slow down, speed up, and actually control for your system designs rather than just, you know, max sizing up all your equipment and just running full bore and, you know, either turning on and off, which is extremely inefficient. Um, that's, the, that's, you know, that's a big thing, right? Um, you know, one, one thing that, that we always talk about is the, the affinity loss, right, or, or the fan loss. And it's the relationship between speed and power consumption, basically. So, you know, this blew my mind when I first um, when I first learned about it. But the relationship between speed and power, and I guess I'll, I'll let you guess, Gary. What do you think the the relationship between speed and power is? Let's say if I double my speed, uh, what do you think the increase in in power is going to be? Out of curiosity, wouldn't it depend on? how much load that that motor is seeing uh, well, uh that's just, that's, say the, yeah. lo the load is the load is constant what okay so let's pretend the load is constant at a lower high speed and you're wondering what power consumption would be right right so just think of like let's you know let's say not even a load right let's take the motor off let's just operate it let's run let it run at okay. uh all right at you know let's say it's a 3600 rpm motor Let's let it run at uh, 1,500 RPM, and then let's uh, double the speed, take it up to uh, 3,000 RPM. What do you think the power consumption is going to be for, for that motor there? Hmm. Interesting. Do you think it's a, I guess, so I guess my question is, do you think it's like a linear relationship or, or higher than that? Hmm. I'm just trying to think. I, I'm trying to cheat and think back to when I um, was che <laughs> checking amp draws on motors with like no blowers attached and stuff like that. Uh, like, I, I mean, if if I'm gonna go with the 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 classic answer that most people would say, let, let's just go this route and, and see where it takes sure. us. The higher the speed, the more power it's consuming. Let, mm -hmm. Let's just go with that. Let, let's yep. let's hear what you got to say. Yeah, so you're 100% right. The higher the speed, the higher the power consumption. 
Um, but the relationships actually, uh, it's cubic, right? So as you double the speed, you're increasing the power by a factor of eight. So if you have a, a let's say a 20 horse motor at 1500 RPM, you could essentially be running at two horse. And at 3000 RPM, you would be running at 16 horse. So it's huge. You know, when we, when we talk, look at the energy savings that you have speeding down um, a motor, lowering the, the speed of, of anything that operates off a motor, right? It could be fans, uh, pumps, chillers, condensers on chillers, uh, cooling tower fans, whatever it is. As you start speeding down those pieces of equipment, you're getting massive energy savings. And yeah. our industry as a whole is a, is a part load industry, which essentially means that we're 90% of the time we're operating at 60% or less of design load conditions. Um, yeah. makes sense. When, yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy. Um, you know, and, and, and you have, I, I was sorry, man, I was just going to jump in no. while, while you were talking about that and you don't have, and, and when it does, and, and when you're running at, on a VFD and you can change the speed, you're not really shutting the motor off very often. Right. I, I find, right. You're not really shutting yeah. it off very often because you're maintaining what you want to maintain. Uh, and, but if you do shut off and you need to start back up, you're starting back up slowly and randomly ramping yep. back up. You're not starting like with, with a hard start and, and causing damage. Cause that's where the damage comes to all these motors out there that are, that are just on straight up um, contactors that just, bang on and off bang on and off it's that startup right every every yeah. whatever whatever it is and the more startups per hour i mean the more damage over time you're going to give that thing right 100 percent. and like with conventional equipment too there's you know there's really high inrush current that you're getting every time you you start up that motor and running at a constant speed right so that inrush current can cause damage to bearings improper grounding all of that good stuff so um yeah vfds are are huge and they're awesome pieces of equipment. They're able to mm -hmm. do that. Cool. Now, I, I know that you wanted to to translate the VFD to motor into into pumps somehow, right? You wanted to talk about that in, in some form. Yeah, I guess I, it was more so like talking about how uh, it works with all components of the system, right? Yep. Um, so as we were, you know, as we were just discussing, there are multiple pieces of equipment in in HVAC that use um vfds are just are able to vary the speed you have your hus you have your uh uh cooling towers your chillers with the compressors on it and so what has actually been allowed with the introduction of vfds is uh parallel operation right so there's there's two main form operations that we think about are like um pairing up equipment so we have like series and parallel. So series is if you, uh, you know, you mentioned pumps. So let's look at a pump example. Mm -hmm. When you have uh, two pumps, essentially one uh, in front of the other, right? So you have one pump pumping into the next one. So okay. that's a, a series application. You have one yep. pump pumping into the next one. The flow stays the same for that pump, but the uh, pressure is is doubled, right? So let's say you have 1500 GPM at a hundred feet of head. Um, each pump is designed for that. So your first pump is going to, you know, kick the flow up to 1500 GPM, hundred feet of head. It's going to input a um, hundred foot of pressure of, to the flow. That's going to go into the second pump and the second pump is going to kick it up by another hundred feet. So the output is still at 1500 GPM, 
but now it's at 200 feet of head right ah, okay um, it doubles the it doubles the the uh the rating there um parallel is when you have um pumps act like side by side basically and you have uh you basically double the flow rather than the head so using that same situation if you have 1500 gpm at 100 foot of head your output from those pumps are actually going to be 3000 gpm at 100 feet of head right so the reason why I'm you know talking about parallel operation how it relates to VFDs is now let's take a look at um two pumps size for half the load instead of one pump size for the for the total load right um so you have essentially two smaller pumps mm-hmm. operating and instead of like having one pump try to try to max out at that best efficiency point or that that maximum load um, of 3000 GPM at a hundred feet of head, you have two pumps operating at half the speed. And so what we were just talking about, let's say you have two five horsepower pumps at half the speed versus, or even two 10 horsepower pumps, let's say, let's say two 10 mm-hmm. horsepower pumps versus, um, one 10 horsepower pump running at full throttle, right? Okay. You, as you lower the speed, you have 50% um, speed for both pumps. You're reducing your, uh, output power by a factor of eight for each pump, right? Instead of running that s- s- uh, same exact pump at full bore at that high horsepower range. So does that sort of make sense? Um, I never, I've, I've never really thought about it that way. That That's interesting. Yeah. So that's why like parallel technology and parallel pieces of equipment is starting to become far more prominent with how we design our systems today. Um, Parallel pumping technology is is huge. You know, we, we're a big proponent of it at Armstrong. Um, you have parallel chillers that operate that way too. I mean, cooling towers, essentially every cell in a cooling tower, when you have your number of cells in a cooling tower, those essentially operate parallel as well, right? So instead of having one kick up all the way um, and then kicking on the next one, you could essentially operate both at half the speed so that you're maximizing that surface area, you're maximizing that efficiency um, while still optimizing the the energy consumption there. And and the other thing with that is that like you mentioned, one one ten horsepower pump by itself or two tens in parallel, right? Now, if if you did two tens in parallel and they're operating at half the speed, cool. But if one were ever to fail, then you have another pump that can handle the load. Is would that be a fair statement? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you okay. have like situations right now of where um, we specifically recommend if you're looking at duty standby configurations, um, you may as well just be looking at a parallel configuration instead, because okay. you know when you're looking at a at a duty standby, you're just not using that that standby pump whatsoever. Versus if you're using if it's the exact same pump, obviously. For both sides and you can operate both pumps in parallel configuration at half the load you have that energy saving there and like you said if one pump fails you have the other one um the beauty of parallel pumping technology too is you know uh you don't have to size it for the maximum case so what i mean by that is you may be able to size one 10 horsepower pump but instead of going with one 10 horsepower you could go with two seven and a halves right or two five horsepower pumps too to even lessen that energy consumption even more um and with the way that that fan coils essentially work right 
So if you, let's say you don't have the full, let's say one pump fails and you don't have the um, maximum flow that you're able to operate at or to output mm-hmm. that maximum flow you're designed for, maybe you're only able to do uh, 50%, right, of that flow. If you look at uh, the way the fan coil uh, is, you know, fan coil curves are, are shaped at 50% um, load, you are still, or 50%, you know, supply water supply you're still only reducing the efficiency of that fan coil to 80 percent. so it's still 80 percent effective um which you know contributes to like a couple degrees different right in temperature um granted you can't use it in every scenario right if we're looking at our, our higher fidelity type applications like data centers or um your hospitals and whatnot, you you you're gonna want to still want that standby pump because you always want that hundred percent flow, um, mm-hmm. or like any process equipment, right? If you want it running it at full bore, um, you're gonna make sure that you want to have those applications. But in like residential applications, office type applications, you know, I personally, you know, can't notice a one to two degree temperature change. I don't know about you, yeah, but yeah, yeah that's 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 difficult to to, to tell. So I mean. That that's that's interesting about uh, about the parallel pumping and and how we um, we can reduce consumption with two pumps even though we're still using ten horsepower. You know what I mean uh, across yeah. across across the two. That's that's interesting to me. I've never really taken a taken a, a deep dive in, into something like that. But I mean, there, there's something else we were going to talk about too, and we're going to talk about something that is in the realm of VFD. But kind of not, but but kind of is one of those things, same but different, <laughs> but but same. Yeah. Um, we're talking about ECM motors, and and you had a bit of a tongue twister for me earlier. Do you want to repeat that tongue twister and and let's we'll confuse everybody some more. Let, yep, let's, yep, let's do it. So all ECMs are permanent yeah. magnet motors, but not all permanent magnet motors are ECMs. Okay. So um, our industry, what we call ECMs or electro electronically commutated motor. Now I'm getting my tongue twisted with that one too. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll just tell the audience earlier. I was trying to. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows that sometimes I have a hard time spitting a word out, and I was having a hard time spitting out electronically commutated motor, but. And now, now he, it's like a yawn or a sneeze. Uh, initially, <laughs> so it's just catching it for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so ECMs uh, in our industry, they all have permanent magnets, but they are generally referred to as DC motors, right? Specifically, DC motors. Um, and for our permanent magnet motors, <clears throat> you can also have an AC variation of that. Right. So, for example, like we use both uh, DC and AC motors, Um, DC motors that we use, I don't believe go any higher than one horsepower. DC motors are just also far more expensive in general. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I guess, you know, talking about about a permanent magnet, you know, why are they called permanent magnet motors? Right. Um, And the reason for that, going back to we were talking about the rotor and the stator. So instead of having to induce a current or induce a magnetic field in the rotor, um, the rotor itself is a magnet now. So it's made of rare earth permanent magnets. Okay. And so there's no real energy loss there because you're not inducing a magnetic field into the, the rotor. It's already a magnetic field, right? It already has a magnetic field. So because of that, 
these um these permanent magnet motors are actually far more efficient than our standard uh induction motors that that we look at um okay. especially at those those lower ranges too so when you're operating at those lower speeds you know we're talking again about about efficiency at uh lower operating speeds um permanent magnet motors are are extremely efficient at low you know 90% plus efficient at um at lower operating uh speeds but yeah dc motor is an, or sorry an ecm motor is basically just a, a dc motor and a permanent magnet motor can be referred to as you know an ac motor that's the that's the main i guess discrepancy of how we describe it in our industry okay gotcha and ecms are starting to be used on a wide range these days i mean they're they're used in hvac uh forced air systems they're used in in pumps and stuff and circulators and stuff now and what what is the advantage of an ecm or so i should say like is is there advantage over ecm versus vfd controlled uh yes and no so you know we're looking when we look at vfds those are varying the frequency right those work off ac waves so you have the frequency there as we discussed before with uh, your ECMs, because they're DC uh, motors, they're, they accept a DC current, there's no frequency there. So what it actually does is you have somewhat of like a, a, pot- pot- a potentiometer um, mm-hmm. that varies the resistance and varies the, the voltage output. So their speed is directly related to the voltage rather than frequency. Right? Okay. Um, so with a, you know if you're using a potentiometer there, uh, the the negatives are that there's a lot of heat loss, right? With when you're adding resistance to a circuit, you're adding heat. Basically, mm-hmm. you're, you're yeah. taking away energy from that system, so they can mm-hmm. be less efficient um, in that application. There are some motors that operate off um, PWM or pulse width modulation, is what it's called. So yeah. you know how we were discussing before, if you open and close that that circuit gate a bunch of times in the 10 second interval. Um, your average voltage is going to be lower than your total voltage output, right? Um, so a way in which you know these these microcontrollers on these ECMs work is instead of just having a potentiometer and raising the resistance, it just open and closes a switch really really quickly, multiple times a second essentially, um, to control that voltage output into the motor. So those are like mm-hmm. the, the two ways. Um, there are there are other ways that ECM motors work, but those are the two primary ways that you have your ECMs uh, control your your motor speed there. So not really the big thing about ECMs is they are expensive because they're DC motors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're far more expensive. That's why you don't really see them above above one horsepower um, because as you start getting to to higher um, horsepowers, they start being far more expensive to manufacture. And make yeah, and again yeah. DC current, right? So that dangerous, that dangerous type current. Um, you definitely don't want high DC, high voltage DC current flowing through your veins there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so permanent magnet motors, you're utilizing the exact same things as you're utilizing the the efficiency from that, um, or the improved efficiency, I should say, of having that permanent magnet in your rotor. Um, but you're still using a VFD to control it rather than you know DC current. Awesome. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean that that's kind of a, a good kind of introduction to basic introduction to, to how VFDs work with motors and pumps and 
and kind of the, the difference between that and, and ECM. So, I mean, next, next we'll, we'll, we'll grab one of those two inch booklets and we'll go through them and tell everybody <laughs> how to set them up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, trust me. Like those, those booklets are dense, man. I think it's, uh, you get hit over the head with one of those and then you're going to be knocked out for a week. Yeah, it's it's almost better to because I remember going through one man maybe about a year and a half ago, and there was like two hundred or three hundred different settings in the thing. Yeah, and I I guarantee you I only probably needed to to use about fifteen or fifteen to twenty of them. The rest were just kind of default. You just leave them where they are. But if you don't know that, you don't know that. You you almost got to call tech support and go like, what? do I need to change on this new VFD that I'm putting on this particular motor to make it work right? Because yeah. I mean, if you set it up wrong, you, you can cause premature failure to, to the motor, right? A hundred percent. And the crazy thing about it too, like what you were saying, right? There's so many different settings that these VFDs have and uh, we're just blind to a lot of them. Like I recently, well, recently, uh, you know, a couple of years back, um, found out that, you know, in colder climates, um, your VFDs can actually output a, a trickle charge um, to your to your motor, so it keeps it energized and keeps it hot. So that in your if it's outdoor uh, mounted somewhere, um, you have that trickle charge flowing through your your uh, electrical components, so it prevents them from you know freezing up, getting condensate on them, and and whatnot. I didn't know so that. I didn't yeah, know that. It's crazy. They have so many different. Uh, you know, small little alterations that they're capable of and almost like all generic VFDs have the capability to do that. Um, we just, you know, are ignorant to it, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that that's something that I'll that I'll look for next time I, I set up or, or, or look at a VFD closer for sure. But I mean, this has been a great conversation, Anish, and uh, we, we should further the conversation and and take it up a notch at some point and, and go a little bit maybe um, into some more intermediate or advanced conversation regarding these things because it'll help me and I know it's going to help my audience too. So appreciate yeah, it. Man. Definitely for sure. Thank you for, for having me, Gary. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you, Anesh, for getting on here and talking VFDs with us from a basic point of view. We talked VFDs, we talked a little bit of ECM stuff and motor basics as well and, and we put it all together in one sort of roundabout conversation so thanks again anish very much appreciated and thank you once again to the master group but i'm out happy hvacking hope you enjoyed the show follow hvac know it all on instagram facebook youtube tiktok twitter linkedin and anywhere else gary feels like popping up this has been a two smokes and a coffee production